opportunity to come into your house for worship and to look into your word. Open our eyes, Father, that we will see wonderful things in your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to look with me once again at just three verses from the passage that Pastor Harris read from Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 20. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogue that he is the son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on the, this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, pr proving that Jesus is the Christ. I want to preach this morning with the help of the Holy Spirit, and I solicit your prayers from the subject, a challenge to be faithful. A challenge to be faithful. The background of these verses occur in the beginning of chapter 9 where Saul, who was at this time a proud Pharisee, was moving towards Damascus in order to hurt and harm and some even believe kill all of those who called on the name of Jesus Christ. He hated Christians. He hated Christ. He hated the movement. It was in his heart, in his mind to do whatever he could to destroy the, the Christians, to stamp out the, the movement. And so it was he moved towards that goal when he was, in fact, according to scriptures, confronted by Jesus Christ on the Damascus road. And he fell from his beast. He was blinded and he heard a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Which means that a persecution against Christ's church is a persecution against Christ himself. So Saul came to his senses, decided to make Jesus his choice to follow Jesus Christ, and he, he moved forth with that. And after spending, some scholars and biblical students believe, at least three years in the desert of Arabia, he came out convicted and convinced and challenged to be faithful to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it is from the background of that text and the scripture text today, I want to share with you some instances and some challenges to us of Saul's faithfulness. First, we find in the text, Saul was faithful to his call. Saul was faithful to his, to his call, to his conscience that came forth from his call. Saul's calling from God was to preach the gospel, and that's what he did. Verse 20 states that he immediately preached the Christ in the synagogues and that he is the son of God. Let me paint the picture for you. Saul was a well-respected, connected Pharisee. When he showed up in the synagogue in Damascus, the Jewish leaders expected him to function in his previous role as Saul, the prosecutor or the persecutor of the church. When he stepped in the temple, that's what they expected him to be in his previous role as a persecutor of the church. They expected him to preach 
on how important it was for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and every rational, respectable, and reliable Jewish citizen to help crush this resistance movement known as the way. He ex- they expected him to come forth with propaganda, with preaching, with statements, with a fierce declaration of how this group must be stopped. But they received the shock of their lives. When out of Saul's mouth came the proclamation that this Jesus whom they had recently crucified was indeed the Son of God, was indeed the Messiah, which was indeed the long-awaited Savior of the world. That this Jesus was convicted, sentenced to death on the cross where he shed his blood to pay the sin debt, not only for Jews, but for all humanity, that he was buried. But early on the third day, Sunday morning, he got up from the grave with all power in his hands. Imagine how shocked Saul's hearers were when they heard him unapologetically preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 21 captures a candid snapshot of the amazement of Saul's hearers by stating, then all who heard were amazed. That means that they were shocked. They were flabbergasted and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on the name, this name in Jerusalem, and come here for that purpose so that he might bring them to the chief priest? They were utterly blown away by the reality of Saul preaching Jesus the Christ. Notice Saul's faithfulness to his calling. Not only did he preach Christ in the synagogue, he kept on preaching Christ wherever he went in Damascus. Paul did not limit his preaching to the synagogue. Wherever he went, he began to preach and tell people about Jesus Christ. As he proclaimed the good news of the gospel to anyone who would give him an audience, give him a hearing, Verse 22 tells, he increased all the more, and as he preached, he got stronger, and as he got stronger, the verse 22 says, he confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now, at this junction, the situation is about to go to another level. Because Saul confounded the religious power structure, which literally means that he presented such an iron-class case proving Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, until those who opposed him had nothing to say for themselves or against the truth. What that means is that many of them came to a relationship with Jesus Christ based upon Saul's preaching, but there were those who hated him all the more. Footnote, one of the best defenses against the enemies of Jesus Christ and one of the best defenses against the enemies of the church is to know his word for ourselves. 
You see, it's all right to reference grandmother's faith. I reference my grandmother's faith and how she led me to the Lord. It's all right to reference our grandfather's faith. It's okay to talk about what mom and dad said about Jesus and how committed they were to the church and all of the positions they had in the church. It's legitimate to quote your pastor, the deacons, the pastoral staff, your Sunday school teachers, and other well-versed saints in the church. But your best defense against false teachers as well as those who refuse and refute the gospel of Jesus is to know Jesus for yourself and know what the book says about him for yourself. I love the Bereans because even as Paul preached, they followed along to ensure that what Paul was saying to them was the truth. Their position was not that we don't trust you, Paul, not that we don't believe that you are a powerful preacher, a man of God, but it's better for us if we see it in the Word for ourselves. There's something about reading the Word, studying the Word, and knowing the Word for yourself. That's why Sunday school, Sunday morning Worship times like this, and I commend you for for getting up out of a nice warm bed and and making your way to the house of the Lord so that you can hear the word of God and see the word of God for yourself. That's the reason why midweek Bible study uh, ought to be packed along with Sunday worship, sir, packed with people coming, flocking to learn more and more about Jesus. That's every born-again believer in Jesus Christ ought to be spending time in the Word of God every single day. There's nothing wrong with reading the newspaper and keeping up with current events and nothing wrong with studying and reading other healthy, mind-stimulating literature, but nothing replaced reading and studying the Word of God every single day, even if it's just one verse that you're reading and meditating and praying over and asking God to speak to your life through this verse because times will come when like Paul you and I will need to speak a word on behalf of Jesus and we need to be ready We never know when the time is coming. We never know when we will be challenged. We never know when a heartbroken, life-beaten, weather-beaten person will come and want to know from us about this Jesus whom we love and respect, about this Jesus who picked us up, turned us around, about this Jesus who brought us out of the darkness and has placed us into the marvelous light. The time will come when people want to know about this Jesus and they'll say, tell me. We need to be ready. Paul said it like this in 2 Timothy 2.15. Paul wrote, study to shew or to show thyself approved of God, not of people, but of God. A workman, a work person, a work woman, a person that needeth not be ashamed. 
that need not stand there baffled and ashamed and confused and not able to speak because we don't know. Paul says a worker that needeth not to be ashamed but rightly divided the word of truth, telling it like it is because we know it like it is. And we can only know it like it is when we study it for ourselves. When we study the word and when we properly present the word, be it in our homes, at, at, at our workplaces, in school or wherever we are, it will cut a path to the hearts of people and nothing can hinder the process. Let me say that again. When we study the word and present the word, no matter where, at our homes, our workplaces, at school, in the marketplace, the word will cut like a two-edged sword, a path to the hearts of people, and nothing can hinder the process. Oh, they may get mad. They may react angrily. They may reject it, but the word will cut to the core every time. It will either draw or it will drive, but it will cut. That's what's happening in the text. The word cut, many of them cut those to the core, cut them to the core. Many of them believe, many of them rejected, but the word did its job. It cut. How do you know it could? Look at verse 22. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. And after continuous preaching, after contentious preaching, after controversial preaching, a plot, a plan, a program, approach to kill Saul was set into motion. Now, right here would have been enough to turn some people around. Right here would have been would, would have been where some people would have said, wait, hold up, pull out the white flag, stop the train, back this baby up, let me off. Right here is where those who were in it for the fortune, those who were in it to make money, those who were in it for financial gain, those who were in it for lucrative and leisure lifestyles or for fame, to see their names in light or a following, a need to be looked up to, revered or admired, this is where they would have jumped ship, swam to the shore and took an easier road. But not Saul. He remained faithful to his call. He was radical. He was reliable. He was remarkably sold out to Jesus. Saul's fearless, tireless, and relentless faithfulness reminds me of the words of the hymn writer who penned these words, My faith looks up to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine. Now hear me while I pray. Take all my guilt away. Oh, let me from this day be holy thine. May thy rich grace impart strength to my fainting heart. My zeal inspire as thou hast died for me. Oh, may my love for thee pure, warm, and changeless be a living 
five. That's faith. That's commitment to be faithful. Commitment to faithfulness and to God and to, and to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who, by the way, promised never to leave us alone. He's always with us. He's always making a way for those who are faithful to him. Unlike some people you can be faithful to, and when the chips are down, when the tides are high, when trouble comes, many times they'll walk away, but not Jesus. He will always reward your faithfulness by faith being faithful to you. Notice verse 25. Then the disciples, then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a basket. God fixed it so that Saul didn't have to leave town through a city gate, but made his escape through a hole in the wall. Won't God fix it for you? Won't he make a way of escape for you? Won't he do it? The lesson here is when you and I are faithful to our calling, God will make a way. God will provide. God will see us through, but we must remain faithful. No matter how dark, remain faithful to your calling. Second, Saul was faithful to the fellowship. First, he was faithful to his calling, then he was faithful to the fellowship. Verse 26 reveals, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. When he got there, he tried to join uh, Peter, James, and John and the rest of the disciples. But they were still afraid of him because locked in their mind was the old Saul who was a persecutor of the church. Now Saul is the man in the middle. Imagine this. His old friends and his old associates, Pastor Harris, the Pharisees, the the Sadducees, the scribes, the rabbis, and the priests now hate him. Uh, Do you see that, Pastor Stephen? They now hate him. Do you see it, Pastor Joel? They now hate him. His old friends now hate him, and they have turned their backs on him. He no longer is respected among the elite class of society. He's no longer welcome in the synagogues for worship. He's a fugitive. He's a suspect, an outcast from the political, the social, and the economic class, which once embraced his theology, his ideology, and his philosophy. Imagine, if you will, he's lonely for a human handshake. He craves for a pat on the back. Oh, what he would not do for an encouraging word. So, as it was, he knocks on the door of the fellowship of believers only to find rejection and that they Two were afraid of him and suspicious of him and wanted nothing to do with him. Talk about a recipe for depression, discouragement, disillusionment. 
This is it. Now let me show you what faithfulness to the fellowship looks like. The word tried in verse 26, as in Paul tried to join the disciples, comes from a Greek word which means to take, uh, I'm sorry, which means to make repeated attempts. That's what it means. To persistently make an effort. To keep on keeping on. Notice the great struggle Saul went through just to be able to worship and fellowship with other believers. He tried. He kept on trying. He was persistent. That's called faithfulness. There was obviously no thought in Saul's mind of forsaking the assembly or gathering together unto himself a small group of worshipers, a small group of people standing alone, or starting some kind of obscure, isolated, or segregated religious movement. Rather, he kept seeking fellowship with the Christians in Jerusalem. Notice verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Barnabas took Paul to the meeting and told them what he knew about Paul. So it was in verse 28 with the help of Barnabas, whom, by the way, the apostles trusted and nicknamed him son of encouragement because he was an encourager. Thus, our Barnabas ministry here at the church gets his name from this Barnabas as an encourager when we will come along various ministries and encourage them with teams of people from good hope and with finances from good hope. We want to be encouragers, as was Barnabas. Because of Barnabas' encouragement, Saul was accepted into the fellowship of believers. Because of Barnabas, they opened their arms and they welcomed him into the fellowship. Saul was accepted into the fellowship of believers. Saul reminds us that being part of a genuine fellowship of believers in Jesus Christ is worth the effort. It's worth the effort. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's a great blessing that ought not be taken lightly. To be a part of the fellowship, Saul challenges us to make the effort. It ought not be taken lightly. Being part of the Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church or any other Bible-believing, Bible-practicing church is a privilege. It's an honor. Christ died for the church. It's a privilege. It's, it's an honor. It's a great blessing we ought not take for granted. Being able to come to the house of worship on Sunday, to pray, to sing, to hear preaching, to be in the company of other born-again believers who will fellowship with us and lift us up and pray for us and encourage us is a blessing that should not be taken for granted. God wants us to be faithful to the fellowship. 
He wants us not to take the fellowship for granted, not to put the fellowship on the back burner, not to make the fellowship an option if it's convenient for us. God wants us to count it a joy and privilege to be able to get up off of our beds and meet believers at the house of God. Don't you know it's a privilege that you were able to get up off of your bed this morning without any kind of assistance and make your way to Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church? It's a privilege to be here. Don't you know that there are many people who are lying on beds of paralysis, lying in hospital beds, lying in nursing homes, who would give all they had if they could get up and walk to church this morning, walk into the fellowship. It's a privilege. May it be while we are on our beds of ease that the spirit will prompt us and push us and move us and convict us to get up because it's a privilege to be here it's a privilege to call upon his holy name in worship it's a privilege to worship the father in the beauty of holiness with other believers to worship him in spirit and in truth to to praise his marvelous magnificent and miracle working name to tell him thank you for all you've done for me god wants us to be counted faithful among those who are stirred up in in love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exalting that means encouraging one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching, so says Hebrews 10, 24b and verse 25. Third and finally, Saul was faithful in spite of opposition. Verse 29 declares, and he spoke boldly, in the name of the Lord, and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. That's opposition. Some of you face opposition in your homes. Some of you face opposition before the cause of Christ in your places of work. Some of you face opposition perhaps in your neighborhoods. So, was faithful in spite of his opposition. Saul faced fierce opposition. The Hellenists were a group of Jewish people who had been raised in Greece and influenced by Greek language and culture. Saul had previously aroused them to murder Stephen back in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, before he came to know Jesus as his Savior and Lord. Now he is witnessing to them. The same people that he encouraged to kill Stephen, he is now that he is a Christian, witnessing to them, trying to win them to Jesus Christ. His efforts are met with resistance and they join in the effort of other haters to kill him. This lesson from Saul's legacy teaches us that living for Jesus is not always calm. Living for Jesus is not always comfortable. Living for Jesus is not always convenient. Sometimes along this pilgrim journey, there will be trials. 
Sometimes as we live for Jesus, there will be tests. Forget about the Pollyanna types of religionists who say that I'm okay, you okay, receive Jesus, send me a check, and everything will be all right. Forget about the the mentality that you'll never be sick, you'll never be lonely, you'll never face any kind of trials or tests along this pilgrim way. There will be trials, there will be tests, there will be temptations, and there will be troubles in our way. But through it all, the highs and the low, through it all, the sunshine and the rain, through it all, the mountaintop experiences and the valleys, through it all, God calls us to be faithful. When we are faithful to him, he is always faithful to us. When we keep our hand in God's unchanging hand, he always comes to our rescue. Verse 30, when the brethren found out, they brought Saul down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. What this lesson from Saul's legacy teaches us is come what may God is always faithful. God will always take care of you. God will always lead you through it. Thomas Chisholm wrote these words of an old hymn of the church concerning the faithfulness of God. And with them I'll close. He wrote, great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changes not. Thou compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou shalt forever be. Summer and winter, springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Pardon for sins and a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength, Pastor Harris, as you travel for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings of mine, Pastor Joe, with 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithfulness, Pastor Stevens. Great is thy faithfulness morning by morning. New mercies I see. All I have needed, God's hand has provided. Great 